0: Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings at the U.S. Naval Institute. Today is Monday, August 21st, 2023. Good to have you on board, everybody. August is Coast Guard Month for Proceedings, and we have a great Coast Guard guest today. But first, a reminder that today's show is brought to you by the members of the Naval Institute. Since 1873, 150 years now, the members of the Institute have been the foundation for everything we do. From USNI News to events and conferences, the Naval Institute Press publishing books, the uh, Proceedings and Naval History team, everything we do is is underwritten and supported by the members of the Naval Institute. If you enjoy the show, ring the bell, subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and become a member today at usni.org forward slash join. Okay, Uh, so joining me today from Alameda, California, is Vice Admiral Andrew Tiongson u.s coast guard he is the commander u.s coast guard pacific area and commander defense force west Admiral johnson great to have you on the show
1: bill thank you for having me uh with you today uh this is a great opportunity for us to to tell our story and we really appreciate it out here in Pac area
0: well uh sir I'm, i'm gonna go a little bit ad lib here because as we were bringing you into the link here uh you mentioned a couple big things you know happening right now so uh, all Americans are familiar with the story about the, the wildfires on Maui and, and Lahaina. Uh, Coast Guard's been contributing to the effort there. Um, and then also, you know, Hurricane or not Hurricane, but Tropical Storm Hillary was kind of slamming the West Coast and uh, this uh, over the weekend and today. So just real quick, what what is your team doing for both of those events and maybe a couple other things that are happening on your radar scope today?
1: Yeah, Bill, as you, as you can imagine, uh, the horrific things that were happening with the, uh, the Maui wildfires in Lahaina. Uh, There's a great testimonial that was put out there by a survivor. Uh, this individual uh, was right in the middle of downtown where he lived, uh, woke up to these wildfires, uh, ended up running towards the sea, uh, and along the way uh, picked up a friend. Uh, And and they now imagine that. So you go into the sea. This is a time when the waters are stored up pretty badly because of uh, some some good winds that are out there. Uh, And then all the other things like smoke, uh, debris in the water. It is it is not going out into the beach and just going for a little dip. Uh, These people went 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 out there. Um, He says his friend was somewhat in shock and he's holding his hand. Uh, And and somehow he ends up on the tip of the jetty getting beaten by heavy seas. uh, And the whole time uh, dodging vessels, dodging like sailboats and power driven vessels or mooring lines that burnt away. They're on fire and they're heading out. They're getting pulled out by the current and things like that. He tells this story. uh, And then all of a sudden, uh, what does he see? He sees a big, bright light. and, And that's a rescue boat from our station in Maui that's out there. Uh, and eventually picks up a couple first. And he says that the man uh, with that couple was was so burnt. He refers to him as 50% burnt. Uh, and then certainly he's there with his friend. His friend's kind of in a shock mode. Uh, and, and the Coast Guard folks uh, from that station go ahead uh, and recover all four of them. Uh, but they were out and about doing that basically all day. We had another uh, couple of vessels that were there to assist as well, uh, trying to pick up as many people as we could that fled those horrific fires, going into the water.
0: Well, yeah, I, I heard it was like 70, yeah. 70, 80 mile an hour winds. Was that that about right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So you can imagine that it's not <laughs> you're not just go, it's not like you're going wading in the water. Uh, right. You're in some you're in some seas. Uh, those types of things are what these folks at our station did. Uh, as well as some other vessels, Then we had some aircraft flying to uh, to get eyes on uh, to see how bad the damage was, where, where how extensive it was. Uh, but you know, here I'm sure the folks at Station Maui, uh, uh, if we call them heroes, they wouldn't accept that. Uh, they would have loved to have done more, uh, but I can assure you and the public that they did as much as they could uh, to pull out as many people as possible uh, from from the water and the ocean that they all of them avoiding it. Uh, Sir, how, here. Far,
0: oh, yeah. how far is, how far is station Maui from Lahaina?
1: It's, it's relatively close. It's not that yeah. far,
0: but not, not in downtown though. It's a little bit, a little, little bit from the fire. Yeah,
1: a, a, absolutely. And and things were fine there. It's as, as always the case, well, I say always, but many times a case with, with Coast Guard, women and men, uh, we typically become responders, uh, but yet at the same time, we're, we're in those areas that are being tragically hit, whether it's by a fire, a hurricane, those types of things. Uh, yeah, of, yeah. Trying to, speaking about hurricanes, uh, southern Southern California, uh, right now uh, it's downgraded, uh, but this is Hillary it was a hurricane at one point, and uh, I can tell you that uh, your Coast Guard uh, did a lot to forward position aircraft uh, in, in uh rescue boats as well as large cutters to make sure that we were ready for any type of response that might've happened because of that, at one point, Hurricane Hillary. Uh, now downgraded, uh, but still we're on the watch. We're working with the state's uh, emergency response teams uh, to see what happens in case uh, a case of massive flooding uh, within, within the region. So we're poised and ready to respond, uh, but that's what your Coast Guard does in a lot of these things. Uh, we make sure we're ready as our motto goes, Semper Paratus, always ready. Uh, and and that's, that's what we did for that particular event. But we still have people wired in tightly uh, with the state Office of Emergency Systems.
0: Got it. Well, thanks for the update on those two sort of ongoing situations, sir. Uh, I, I do want to um, highlight a couple things from your bio for our audience, because a lot of our folks are, you know, Navy Marine Corps background uh, or, or just, you know, never served Coast Guard Um and, and it's always interesting to me uh, as a Navy guy to hear the bios and the you know the career path of somebody who is in the Coast Guard. So you took over as the commanding officer or the, the commanding uh commander of Coast Guard Pacific Area a year ago, July 2022. Uh, you serve as the operational commander for all Coast Guard missions westward from the Rocky Mountains across the Indo-Pacific, the Arctic, and the Antarctic regions all the way to the. Uh, eastern coast of Africa. So uh, uh, that's an impressive span of control, I got to say, like that's more than half the globe. Um, You also serve as Commander Defense Force West, we'll get to that a little bit later, which provides Coast Guard operational support to DOD and combatant commanders. Uh, You previously served as the Director of Operations U.S. Southern Command, so down in Miami, uh, looking out at the entire, um, you know, Latin America region. Uh, Before that, you served as Commander First First Coast Guard district headquartered up in Boston. Uh, you're a career cutterman with sea time on five Coast Guard cutters and one Navy ship. Uh, you commanded three cutters. You're a 1989 graduate of the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, two master's degrees from George Washington University, and two master's degrees from MIT. I just got to ask her, where's the Ph.D.? I mean, when are you going to get serious about education? <laughs>
1: That's a that's a that's a tricky question. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy uh, where where I am with with education, uh, but I, I can tell you one thing. Uh, this is a constant uh, uh, journey of learning, uh, and I'm I'm definitely uh, in it, and uh, I'm all about trying to learn more each and every day and each and every engagement that I have.
0: Well, I, what I took away from that is that you know a lot of us go to school for a year or two and we get one master's degree. I, I suspect that you got there uh, to both of those schools, and they weren't keeping you quite busy enough, so you doubled up and got two master's degrees in the in the time that the Coast Guard sent you to those schools. So, bravo for that, and maybe the PhD comes after, uh, you know, after you finish uh, your time in the Coast Guard. So, pretty impressive stuff. Um, so, to start off, just tell us a bit, you know, aside from the Maui and the you know Hurricane Hillary stuff, you know, tell us about the area of responsibility and some things that are going on on a continuous basis in the Coast Guard Pacific area. You know, you've got six or seven continents, 71 countries. I mean, this is massive, massive area of responsibility.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just, just uh, uh add in, in, add something, uh, so uh, one degree from MIT um, conferred by both the uh, Sloan School of Business and the School of Engineering. So it was com- a combined. Ah,
0: okay, got it. Got it. it looked uh, like looked like two from two separate schools. No, yeah. that's fantastic MIT I'll never never go there other than a guest or
1: no um, so so uh, thank you for the question. I, I love how you defined the, uh, the area of responsibility 74 million square miles, 71 nations. Uh, I always talk about it in terms of polar bears to penguins uh, and then from Hollywood uh, to Bollywood and a little bit more uh, so people people seem to resonate and keep that in mind as, as they move forward. Um, Hollywood
0: to Bollywood. I like it.
1: Hollywood to Bollywood. And a little more.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so
1: there's right. a little, there's a little more, uh, after that. Um, and, and it, and it sounds like there's a lot of international things that happen there, Bill. Uh, but I have, uh, first and foremost, Homeland security responsibilities as well, uh, that we have to ensure that we take care of. Um, so certainly with this type of vast, uh, area of responsibility, uh, it, it really requires a campaigning approach uh, from us. Uh, so we, we took some time, we put together our PAC area campaign plan uh, that has a strategic end state in it. Uh, and frankly, the strategic end state is free, as a free, open, connected, prosperous, secure and resilient maritime domain throughout our area of responsibility. And our main goal, uh, we have other goals that are in there, but our real main goal is to become a trusted partner. And a trusted partner could be with a partner nation uh, that's out there in, in the Western Pacific or or could be a, a state emergency response uh, organization uh, within the United States. A trusted partner means everywhere, internal and, and externally for us here. Uh, and it's certainly, uh, as we look towards trying to achieve that strategic end state, we have, we have uh, priorities that are set up. Or what we would refer to as lines of effort. It's prepare a ready workforce, generate combined effects. That's all about partnerships. We're in the Coast Guard. We don't have vast amount of resources. We need to have partnerships to ensure that we can get our jobs done uh, and make sure that we can meet the nation's strategic goals. And then the third line of effort for us is to uphold governance. And I'm sure that you know a lot about our, uh, our law enforcement missions that, that we do have. I would say that all of these are challenging, and we try to get after these each and every day. Uh, but I can tell you that I'm excited to continue uh, to get after these priorities uh, and move the dials with our partners uh, as we go, over, go after that strategic end state that we had. So in a, in a roundabout way, I think I've answered your, your question here. I, I've put out what our priorities are. Um, and and we are doing tons of operations, activities, and investments to get after each one of those lines of efforts that I just spoke about.
0: Got it, sir. Uh, you know, folks reading the, the August issue of Proceedings uh, will know that uh, you know, the Coast Guard's got eleven separate missions. So you talked about you know three lines of effort in your strategic plan, but you know, with the, I'm guessing so many of those sort of cross cut the various missions that the coast guards got right i mean so you know some of the more obvious ones are things like uh, port security and counter drug and counter immigration or, or you know illegal illegal immigration and you know IUU fishing the, the illegal unregulated unreported fishing so a lot of different statutory missions that the coast guards got and i'm you know I hear you, you. You partner with a number of different, you know, international partners, other parts of the U.S. government, state and local law enforcement, et cetera. Just uh, what are what are some of the most challenging aspects of your job or the job of the, you know, Coast Guard Pacific area?
1: Yeah, I think um, go into your your preamble first, if I could just have a moment to to describe my, my thoughts on what you just said. Sure. So, so my my thoughts are uh, our value proposition to the American public and our partner nations is maritime governance. And when I say my, maritime governance, I'm talking about our unique combination of missions and authorities. So you know us as a, an armed service, a law enforcement agency, regula, uh, regulatory agency, uh, part of the intel community, a m- humanitarian service. You mentioned all of those things. Uh, so that includes all of our missions, and they are cross-cutting. So uh, search and rescue to law enforcement. Uh, uh, we, we, do, we just mentioned humanitarian assistance, disaster response, uh, out to uh, marine environmental response, uh, and marine inspection, and defense readiness. All of these things are captured underneath those things. If we don't do that well at home, nobody wants a poor brand of anything. If our value proposition or our brand is maritime governance, we have to do it the best here at home. And what I have seen in, in various nations that I have visited is that people see how well we do that here in the United States for the American public, that they want to emulate that. And that's what makes us global in nature. And that's what pulls us to all the different places. You asked about the challenges. We are in high global demand. And we have few resources to go around. And I need to maintain our brand or our value proposition here at home. So I would like to get out as much as possible to all of these nations that want to want to partner with us, but I can only do that in, in a certain uh, episodic events. Very hard to do that with persistent presence. Uh, although we do have persistent presence in the in the Pacific without any doubt uh, to meet, all of our partners where they are with what they want that that means that i have to be the best at partnering with other agencies just like you said and other nations to help provide that value proposition of maritime governance and that is challenging because other nations are also going through these these types of things with scarce resources
0: yeah sir uh you know it, it picking up on on a couple of things there, Uh, you know, proceedings readers who read uh, the, we have a lot of content on the Coast Guard, um, you know, are very aware of the fact that the Coast Guard is forward deployed, um, that there's a a huge combatant commander demand, you know, out in the Indo-Pacific for Coast Guard presence, right? Because, you know, you see things like I think over the last couple of years, you know, Bertolf, one of the national security cutters out there in the, you know, making a Taiwan Straits transit, sometimes operating on its own, sometimes operating with with Navy ships. A lot, you know, there's a lot mentioned about the fact that the US Coast Guard is a lot more like many of the regional navies than the US Navy is. And so you, your forces in in many cases. Uh, present a better partner or a more analogous partner, I guess, than a, you know, a a U.S. Navy destroyer pulling in. Right. A Coast Guard cutter is more uh, similar to the types of capabilities that they've got in their in their regional navies. Um, And because of that, you know, as you said, the the demand signal for you and for your your forces is huge overseas. But you got to do well what you do for the United States back home. You know, first that's that you know the, the homeland security mission is uh, is first and foremost, and then extending that out, I'm hearing you know out to all the way to eastern Africa, you know is something that you can do, but only if you can take care of you know the home waters and our E E Z and our forces, our people, uh, to the extent that you need to. But yeah, not enough not enough resources. I I can definitely echo that, uh, and that's and that's in a lot of the Coast Guard writing. That's in the pages of proceedings, you know, just the hu- huge demand signal, uh, and and not enough, you know, supply to meet that demand, right? Um, so that that gets, you know, that takes us to the next question I have, which is, you know, decisions that Congress and the President and the Coast Guard, uh, you know, headquarters are making today or will make today, this year, next year, are going to impact the future of the Indo-Pacific. So what needs to happen now? To ensure that the Coast Guard is ready for the challenges that are going to face you in 2030 and in 2040. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's a that's a great that's a great question, and I appreciate that question. And I don't want to make it sound like we're not getting help from the administration or Congress. Uh, I believe we we are. Uh, so, for example, uh, let me put resources in in a couple of different buckets. Uh, I'll, I'll use three buckets, for example, uh, in the FY23 budget. Uh, the administration and congress said yes there is a high demand signal for the coast guard and we have to do something about that uh, what they did was they they funded a vessel uh the refurbishing of a vessel and a crew uh, that's going to come out here and this is going to be our what we're calling an indo-pacific support cutter it's also known as the cutter harriet lane we expect to get that before the end of this calendar year uh and it is going to operate in the region working closely with partners. It will do some operations like IUU Fish uh, in, in search and rescue, but it will, its main purpose will be to go from island to different island to different country uh, to provide training on how we do our things. Uh, and hopefully while we do that, we'll learn from our partners as well. So look at it in terms of, hey, I said training, but maybe it's more subject matter expert exchanges with different nations throughout. I said persistent presence. That's one of our pieces of persistent presence that's there. In addition to that, uh, Congress went ahead and they and they uh, funded and began the creation of a center of excellence for IUU fish, as well as uh, a center of excellence for marine environmental response. We're going to combine those two. It'll be a regional activity center. We're going to have that in Hawaii. Uh, we plan to open up here, ribbon cutting coming within the next few months. Wow! And then we're going to be we're going to be working very closely with all of the partner nations, bringing them in for subject matter expert exchanges, and also providing experts to their nation, uh, as well as uh, uh, ashore, for maybe subject matter expert exchange slash training type of things, uh, but also on vessels. To go ahead and show how we do our business, how our brand is strong. So that happened all in, in fiscal year twenty
0: three. And, and sir, that that center it, of excellence, I I understand, is uh, Pearl Harbor, Fort Island. That's where it's going to going to go.
1: Uh, I think that's what we're looking at right now. I don't want to be too uh, too specific, okay. but we're trying to work with uh, with NOAA on on a place for it to to reside. I think we're in a good. Uh, uh we're in a good place right now so we're gonna put we're still pushing forward and that's where it is essentially what you, what you said. and
0: and can i ask right. you a question about the, the harriet lane you mentioned uh, a ship being refurbished as coast guard cutter harriet lane what what class of ship is that or what kind of ship is that
1: it's a uh it's a it's a medium endurance cutter it's a 270 foot vessel
0: got it okay cool so we're looking
1: forward to that um and in this year's budget uh the house, at least in the house mark, there are four additional fast response cutters that have been labeled for this region. Uh, so we're hopeful, but we know that it goes through a process. Yeah. Uh, so it was in the house mark only right now. Uh, but those are those would be three additional uh, fast response cutters to, uh, to Guam and one additional one uh, to Hawaii. So again, persistent presence. We already have fast response cutters in the region. These would be in addition to those, uh, and that can only help us get after things. And I would say uh, that uh, our dealings uh, with uh, uh, the National Security Council, National Security Advisor, uh, as well as OMB, have been, been very fruitful. Uh, and we continue to move forward for those out-year budgets in trying to get all of the assets required to maintain that persistent presence within the Indo-Pacific.
0: Got it. So it sounds like both uh, the White House, the administration, uh, and Congress see the need for a larger Coast Guard and are are working hard to get you more resources.
1: Absolutely. Now, I'm an operator, Bill. And as you know, all operators want stuff yesterday. Right. Uh, But also, we have a government that has to go through a process uh, because there are a lot of needs throughout the entire United States. Uh, So right now, we're in that process. But as I mentioned just, just previously, we have won along the way. Uh, yeah, and that's great. Hopefully, that's we great. will continue to win.
0: So, you just mentioned, sir, you're, you're an operator, right? As Coast Guard uh, Area uh, Pacific Area Commander, are, I want to just ask: Are you also responsible for readiness, or does uh, are there readiness commands that that provide you the readiness, the ready forces to operate? Because in the Navy, it's 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 pretty bifurcated, um, but in the Coast Guard, I, I, my sense is it's not so bifurcated, right?
1: Well, I, I would offer you that we do have a deputy commandant for mission support that, that ensures readiness uh, of our vessels, uh, of our infrastructure, um, all of those all of those things. Uh, but with my hat on, uh, I am also a force provider. Got it. As well as a direct operator. So as a force provider, I have to ensure that the vessels that I'm providing to places like the 7th Fleet uh, are, are ready to operate. So is readiness part of my job description? Uh, this this operator would tell you absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Got it. All right, sir. Thank you. Um, I want to jump ahead a little bit to uh, Commander Defense Force West. So that's the your dual-hatted. So your Coast Guard Pacific Area Commander and Commander Defense Force West. And I think uh, a lot of our listeners are probably less um, uh, aware of the Coast Guard, you know, those dual hatted positions under, which is a, it's, it's, uh, you know, supporting to, um, uh, local state law enforcement and DOD, correct? So what, what is, what responsibility, what responsibilities do you have with that hat?
1: Uh, with that, with that hat on, uh, first, uh, it would come under a, con- uh, a construct if, uh, if there was a a Maritime Homeland Defense mission uh, declared. As soon as that's declared, uh, as many of your viewers would know, uh, you're in the world of the Joint Force uh, Maritime Component and that Component Commander. I fall in underneath that Component Commander, uh, and my job is to provide those ready resources when asked uh, to go wherever and conduct whatever tactical-level missions uh, that that are out there. Uh, so that that is what that other hat is. it's It's very interesting uh, because I mentioned myself earlier as a force provider. This is right. an exact example. So uh, at, at one point I'll be the uh, I, I would be the uh, uh, that uh, defense Forces commander uh, asked to to prov- to have vessels and and conduct these types of miss- missions. I would go and talk to myself uh, about pack area vessels. Uh, ensure the readiness of those vessels. Take them, put them in in this in the uh, the Joint Force Maritime uh, Component Organization, and run them in support of of those operations. Got Hope it. That makes sense.
0: No, it it does. I just want to ask a little bit more to, for my own clarity, but I'm I'm guessing that um, there there might be a you know let's say it was a, a terrorist threat to uh, San Diego, for example. Um, and if Northcom was the comp- was the was the combatant commander for homeland defense, right? And if then if Third Fleet maybe would be the GIFMIC, um in San Diego, and then th- you would be supporting Third Fleet as the MIC in that scenario. Did I, did I get that roughly correct?
1: Yeah, I think um, I'd have to push the pubs to make sure, but I think it would end up being NAV NORTH. Uh, Na- NAV NORTH. it's also uh, wearing the fleet forces hat. So I think you got that as a JTF commander.
0: Got it. Got uh, it.
1: And then I'm uh, following underneath that to provide whatever that security, that tactical level mission is, to ensure that terrorist attack doesn't happen in one of those ports without got a doubt. It.
0: All right. So you're you're way, way smarter on it than I am because I was forgetting NAV North that that um, uh, Fleet Forces Command. Uh, you're right. He is he's NAV North under Northcom, and then you would fall in, and uh, your your forces would support. in in that way. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think Um,
1: Third Fleet and I would be uh, partners in that that, uh, scenario that you had pointed out.
0: Got it. Got it. All right. Um, You mentioned a minute ago, uh, IUU fishing, illegal, unreported, unregulated fishing. Uh, We had the former commandant, uh, Admiral Schultz, on the show a couple of years ago when he rolled out the IUU fishing strategy or counter strategy. Um, And that was a great conversation. Um, it, this is a complex global challenge, and I just want to ask, you know, what what role does the Coast Guard, and and particularly for you, Pacific Area Commander, um, play in that? And how's it going? You know, what, what are some things that are happening in the IUU fishing world?
1: Well, we conduct IUU fisheries missions uh, throughout the area of responsibility. So we're doing that day in and day out. In fact, we have an FR, uh, Fast Response Cutter that's doing that right now in in Oceania or the blue pacific uh, if you will and and here's the interesting thing and i think it's uh, worthy to say this is uh, IU fish uh, we we are not after a specific target or a specific nation when it comes to IU fish we are after the illicit activity so it could be anyone and i i would tell you that right now in current operations we just uh, last night we had four boardings against uh, Japanese vessels that were operating in in other countries' EEZs turned out that there were no violations according according to the uh, the setup that with the regional fisheries management organization. But still, again, it illustrates the fact that we're not after a specific nation; we're always after the illicit activity. This is upholding the maritime uh, rule of governance, the international order, if you will. Uh, those rules uh, and and, in laws that we hope everyone follows throughout the world. So providing great governance like that begets great governance everywhere. And that's what we do. Um, So we're doing that there right now. I would say we do that often up in the Bering Sea, uh, right at the uh, maritime boundary line. Uh, And this will, this sometimes shocks folks, uh, but we coordinate things with the Russian border guard. In fact, we have communications with them today uh, even while uh, you have Ukraine going on, because we have we have similar interests there in that region. Uh, they want to contact us if they have a, a vessel, a U.S. vessel that's in their waters for us to go ahead and take a response effort for that. Uh, we want to notify them if we have Russian vessels in our waters taking away our our resources. And. Um, and and certainly if there's a search and rescue case on either side, we want to ensure that our fishermen are are safe. So we have like interest and we do that. We do that up up in up in the uh, the Bering. Uh, we do that uh, in Oceania or the Blue Pacific. We do that in the Western Pacific as well, where we work with our partner nations. You, you asked, how's it going? Yeah, we had been a lead in IOU fish we continue to be a leader in the IUU fish realm. I would say globally, as the examples I gave within the area of responsibility I'm responsible for. But how is it going? I judge that by how have our bilaterals with different countries evolved. And we have, right now, we have up to 13 of these with our partner nations that enable us to go ahead and conduct IUU fish fisheries on their behalf. In fact, we've even gone further Usually that takes a ship rider from another country to come on board one of our vessels and ensure that we're following their rules and regulations. We have one that's called an enhanced ship rider uh, regime that just enables us not to go in, pick up a ship rider from another nation, come back out, conduct operations, but allows us to conduct operations and just voice call them that we're doing that in support of them. And in my mind, that's what a trusted partner is. There's another nation out there. This is FSM, Ferry States of, Ferry States of Micronesia, that enables us to go ahead and enforce the fisheries on their behalf for their resources by just telling them we're doing that. That's a trusted partner, and that's what we want to be to everybody. And we're working on two more of those enhanced type of uh, enhanced type of ship rider agreements right now. So I would
0: say it's going pretty good. Yeah. So uh, if a a U.S. Coast Guard cutter can operate within the EEZ of the Federated States of Micronesia uh, and do fisheries protection, IUU fisheries protection, um, and you don't have to have one of their nationals on board, you can actually just, if you see something happening that's illegal in their EEZ, you can stop it, but with a voice call to to their government. Did Did I understand that correct?
1: That's absolutely correct.
0: That's pretty awesome.
1: That is awesome. That is awesome. And that is moving the dial forward and being a trusted partner.
0: Yeah. And I know, sir, that uh, uh, U.S. Navy ships can participate in that program. And that's when, you know, back to you, you mentioned earlier on that the Coast Guard brings law enforcement authorities that the Navy doesn't have. But uh, you'll, you'll send a Coast Guard team on a Navy ship that can then go do IUU fishing patrols in Oceania or other places and and help enforce those laws with the authorities of the Coast Guard people that are on board. Am am I right about that?
1: Absolutely. And that is a great program as well. And and that's what I was referring to earlier when I say we we need to partner with everybody because we have scarce resources. It's amazing the types of things we can do with our unique mission sets, our expertise, and the authorities we have with just a small group of people. And what you're talking about are those law enforcement detachments that go on Navy ships and conduct IUU fish uh, throughout the throughout the Pacific, and that is the strength of working together and campaigning.
0: Got it, um, as, sir. A follow-on question: to That the the leadets, the law enforcement detachments uh, that go out to other other you know ship to particularly to the Navy ships, um, how? How stretched are they? Like, uh, is there a, a huge demand for that? And, and are you scheduling those folks out, you know, months in advance? Is this, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a big thing, but I, I don't know. I don't know how that how that works. I've never had any visibility on, on how that works. So um, just talk to, talk about that for a minute, if you would.
1: We, we do schedule them out in advance. Uh, we do that in a prioritized fashion. I can tell you that in my mind, uh, working after, or to counter IUUF is, is at the top of that prioritization. Uh, so we do provide those teams. And so far, we've been able to meet as many as a demand signal would, would require. So in other words, uh, if there's a Navy ship, they want them, we will try our hardest to get them on board that Navy ship. Or in other cases, it may be, I have a team. Do you have a Navy ship that we can use? Uh, to put this this team on there, um, and that and that's how that process has been working. It's been working out very well. Our deployed specialized forces is yet another type of uh, team that we're able to utilize uh, in 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 conducting a lot of the missions that we have in in the uh, Indo Pacific as well. Uh, again, small teams, adaptive force packages, doing great things.
0: And do do those leadets also go on uh, other nations' coast guard or navy ships as well?
1: Uh, we we haven't done that in this region just just yet, uh, but I can tell you that right now uh, we're we're running North uh, Pacific Guard. North Pacific Guard uh, is with the Canadians for the first time. The Canadians have provided a surface asset. They went ahead and they leased an asset. I think the uh, the name of the asset is called Atlantic Condor. Uh, what we've done there, and this is this is an IUU fisheries type of operation uh, is we provided them law enforcement uh, detachment experts on board that vessel. And they're working on that vessel to get after this. I think they've conducted at least four boardings right now. Uh, That has just started up this operation. We are so grateful that our Canadian partners have come with a surface asset. We provide, uh, in addition to the law enforcement detachment detachment team, we're providing uh, intelligence that we have as well as uh, maritime patrol aircraft. Uh, that's a great example of exactly what you just asked.
0: So the, the Canadian Coast Guard is leasing a commercial vessel, and then you've got a lead that, that's integrating with that team to do the IUU fishing patrol. Well, that's, uh, you know, talk talk about, you know, a, a pickup team just doing what you got to do to get the mission done.
1: Right on. Back to your other question, uh, how's that going? The yeah. IUU fish, how's that going? Uh, with these examples, I'm telling you that it is progressing and everybody understands the importance of counting IUU fish, uh, and we are getting after it as a, a team, uh, an international flavored team.
0: That's great. Well, uh, sir, can, can you, back to um, readiness for a second, um, you know, because you said you're, you're responsible out there for readiness and you got got um, lion's share, I'm guessing, of the Coast Guard assets nationwide. You know, what are you hearing from the deck plates in terms of recruiting and retention, and you know just uh, keeping ships ready to go to sea, and and the, you know the morale of the team out there? Um, you know, what, what could you say to our listeners or to young Coast Guardsmen about um, you know about readiness and about you know what what things are going to look like in the next you know couple of years?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Recruiting is an issue for us uh, in the Coast Guard. It's it's for us within all of our armed services. It um, is, right. We are, we, are, we are wrestling with recruiting as it goes. Um, in, in, in my particular case, I can tell you that every day I'm balancing different risks. And when I say different risks, I look in terms of risk to force, risk to mission, risk of inaction, risk of unintended escalation, and that brand that we talked about earlier, that risk to brand. I'm balancing all five of these each and every day. And what I've prioritized with the help of our headquarters is to prioritize putting uh, our new recruits uh, to the pointiest end of the sphere. Uh, and for many of us, that means our cutter fleet. Uh, so a lot of our folks that are coming out of boot camp end up uh, right to uh, cutters. Uh, we balance that risk where they would have been somewhere else. Uh, we go ahead and try to balance that risk as best we can. That being said, uh, we have been talking and working with the administration. The administration has heard us. We've we've gotten a lot of support in terms of recruiting, and I'm excited about our new efforts in in recruiting. Uh, so we have a new brand that's gone out in in recruiting. Uh, we're trying to do new and different things. So, for example, for the first time in, in our history, we're taking lateral entries into the Coast Guard. If you were a paramedic on the outside. Well, do you, have to, do you have to go through all of the boot camp and then all of the schooling that's there? Well, maybe you go through an abridged type of boot camp. Maybe you come to the schoolhouse where we teach our docs. Uh, maybe at that point we go ahead and assess all of the knowledge you have and we find out, hey, instead of being there for, I don't know how long it is, but say it's two months or three months, you can do it in three weeks. And we have had people that have done that. Uh, throughout throughout our service already, so that's exciting. That's different. That's getting after this problem and trying to get people to where we need them most. Uh, we've also looked at at doing that with our uh, with our cooks. Uh, so same thing. If you were a cook on the outside and you wanted to come into the Coast Guard, well, here's a lateral entry way for you to come into the Coast Guard and get to that petty officer level much faster uh, than we had had done in the past. So all of these types of unique. Approaches are really exciting for me, uh, and as the uh, as a son of of uh, a person, uh, a man who said, uh, "Hey, I'm in the Philippine Army right now. I, I want to go to the United States," uh, who was able to come into the Coast Guard, the United States Coast Guard, as uh, as a steward essentially, uh, and then and then become a naturalized citizen of our country, and then eventually become a, a petty officer and then a, a senior chief petty officer in our United States Coast Guard. That makes me very proud. That we're looking at different ways to get after our recruiting issues.
0: That's a great story, sir. Thank you. Um, well, we are about out of time, so I'll give you uh, the a chance for uh, saved rounds or, or a parting shot.
1: No, I would I would say that um, uh, I am I am excited about our region here. Uh, we we've got a lot going on. Uh, we have the uh, Coast Guard Cutter Haley right now. That's that's up in the Arctic, going ahead to. Advance Arctic science uh, through research, education, uh, and, and international collaboration. Did you on a trans-Arctic trip? That's exciting for me, uh, and, and that is is also uh, just a yet another example of how we collaborate with all of these countries to, to go ahead and improve governance everywhere. And in this case, specifically, this is a science mission. Uh, but just that because they're up there, that's doing great things. None of this happens, Bill, uh, with, without a great team uh, in, the, in the Coast Guard. I think you know this. You've seen us for a while. We have extraordinary women and men that want to make a difference in this world each and every day. They join our service, and they do exactly that. And, that's, and that makes me proud to be part of an organization where the women and men care about our nation, our nation's goals, uh, and certainly their fellow human beings. Uh, and that's what I see each and every day in all of the all of the various uh, units that i that I visit. I see people who are eager to get after things and to make a difference. Can't do it without them.
0: Thanks. Awesome. All right, sir. thank you. Well, my guest today has been Vice Admiral Andrew Tiongson, u s. Coast Guard. He's the Commander Coast Guard Pacific Area and Commander Defense Force West. Thank you for your time, sir. This episode was brought to you by the members of the Naval Institute for 150 years. Our members have fostered the free and open debate that has moved the sea services forward. To become a member, go to usni.org forward slash join. If you're already a member, invite a shipmate or a friend to join. And until next week, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.